The reading of Scripture comes from the Gospel according to Mark, chapter 7, beginning at verse 14. Let us ask the Lord of His holy word. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that in your great love for us, you have sent your Son into the world as our Redeemer, Savior, and King. We pray in His name that you will pour out your Holy Spirit upon us afresh to open our minds with spiritual illumination and to open our hearts with the grace of renewed faith that we might receive what you say. Hold fast to it and live according to it, to the glory of your name, amen. Gospel of Jesus Christ according to Mark, the Word of God, it is written. And Jesus called the people to him again and said to them, hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach? And thus Jesus declared all foods clean. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the Word of our God stands forever, and to His name be praise, honor, and glory. This passage from Mark is familiar to you because from time to time we use verses 21 through 23 as our call to confession and repentance during the worship service. Jesus said, from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. Jesus speaks very clearly here not only about the actual commission of these sins, but also about the fact of sinful nature, the corrupted human heart, where these sins originate and out of which they come. The heart of the problem is the human heart. Now, one of the reasons that we use this passage as a call to confession and repentance is that with these words of Jesus himself, this passage confronts us with the reality of our fallen sinful nature. If, since, Jesus said this about us, then it must be true, and we need to take it seriously. We need to take it seriously as a need for Jesus Christ as our Savior. This passage calls us all to examine our hearts 
and to repent of the sins which reside in our hearts, evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, deceit, envy, pride. As J.C. Ryle so poignantly put it in his commentary on Mark, quote, All of us have by nature such a heart as Jesus here describes. The seeds of all the evils here mentioned lie hid within us all. Every man has the root of every sin. This passage also demolishes the modern myth, the lie, that Jesus was not very concerned about personal sins or personal morality. I don't know if you run into that very often these days, but it's out there, this notion that, you know, Jesus was really cool about sin, that it really wasn't that much of a big deal, that he didn't call sin, sin, because if he did, then he would be judging someone. And we all know that Jesus wasn't judgmental. That's the modern myth this passage demolishes. It's very clear. Jesus not only calls sin, sin, he also names some specific sins and says that they defile a person. And this list is, each and every sin defiles us before God. Jesus said so. But, and now we're moving to the second major point. The word defile has a particular meaning in the historical context of first century Judaism. It's, it's true that sin defiles us, that it causes us to be spiritually us today, yes. But in Jesus' day, the word defile meant something more specific and particular. The word defile or to be defiled was a technical term referring to ritual or ceremonial uncleanness. To be defiled was to be made unclean. We read about these categories of clean and unclean, particularly in the book of Leviticus. When you're reading through the Bible in a year and you hit that section, that's where you might get bogged down, right? So these categories, here now just These categories of clean and unclean serve to distinguish the Jewish people from the Gentiles, all other peoples, and serve to identify the Jews as God's holy, that is, set-apart people. But, But ritual or ceremonial uncleanness or defilement, disqualified an Old Testament Israelite from fellowship in the Jewish community and worship in the temple until certain requirements the person was declared to be clean by a priest. So those are those categories. You read about them in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Hang in here with me because this is going somewhere. You may remember that some of the laws in the Old Testament identify animals and foods from those animals as either clean or unclean. 
For example, Leviticus 11.8 forbade the Old Testament Israelites from eating pork because pigs were unclean. That doesn't mean physically dirty. It means impure in a, in a, with regard to the things of God. Leviticus 11.10 forbade the eating of shellfish because they lack fins and scales and so were designated unclean. So, if we were old covenant Israelites, shrimp and sausage gumbo would not be on our menu. (laughs) So now, you see, with the Old Testament dietary laws in the background, we can see that this passage in which Jesus says that it's not what goes into a man which defiles him, food, which defiles him, sin. This passage takes place within the context of a controversy, an argument between Jesus and the Pharisees about this, these ceremonial dietary laws found in the book of Leviticus. Hmm. Okay, now remember, the Pharisees were men within first century Judaism who were very concerned with the strict keeping of God's law, including these ceremonial dietary laws. The Pharisees were serious about being holy, separate from the Gentile world. They were serious about being clean, ceremony, maintaining their separateness from all things Gentile, always avoiding defilement. But their tragic error was this. They missed the whole point and purpose of these ceremonial and dietary laws. The whole point and purpose of the ceremonial laws which we read in Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, whether they have to do with food or ritual washings or leprosy or issues of blood, all of these Old Testament ceremonial laws were intended to teach and to remind the Old Testament Israelites that they were called to be God, that is God's special set-apart people by His grace and by His mercy. That therefore they were to live distinctive lives for His glory from their hearts. Hearts of holiness, hearts of love for God in response to His grace and mercy. All of these external laws were intended to shape and mold their hearts in internal holiness. That is, a sincere desire to worship and serve the true and living God from their hearts in response to His grace and mercy. And therefore, all of these external laws so intended to show them that their hearts were not perfect in holiness, that they were therefore in need of a Savior whose blood would cleanse them from all their uncleannesses, a Savior who was foreshadowed and prefigured symbolically in the animal sacrifices, which were also prescribed in Old Testament ceremonial law. Everything pointed to Jesus. 
In his letter to the Galatians, the Apostle Paul refers to the Old Testament law as a guardian or schoolmaster until Christ came. In other words, the whole point of the Old Testament law was to show us our need for Christ as Savior, to show us that Jesus Christ in His perfect sinlessness is our only true hope for cleanness before God. All of those ceremonial laws that you read about in Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, about clean and unclean, they all point to Jesus. That's what they're about. They all point to the necessary cleanness, the true holiness, the spiritual purity, which comes only through the sacrificial death, the cleansing blood. You see, these laws were never intended to make a person holy or righteous or acceptable in God's sight. But the Pharisees thought that by merely observing these laws in an external, outward way, doing certain things in the right way, ritual washing before eating, avoiding the wrong things, not eating pork, not eating shellfish, they thought that thereby, by their outward obedience to these ceremonial laws, that they established and maintained their holiness, their right standing, their acceptability before God. In other words, they thought that by checking all the right themselves right with God. Now, you are familiar with one first century Pharisee, Saul of Tarsus. Remember him? The man who became later known as the Apostle Paul. Reflecting upon his life Before he was saved by Jesus Christ, Paul described himself with these words in his letter to the Philippians, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, check, circumcised on the eighth day, check, of the people of Israel, to the law, a Pharisee, strict law keeper, got it, as to righteousness under the law, blameless, check. Saul of Tarsus thought that he had something to boast about, his own righteousness, his holiness, based upon his own law-keeping, until he met Jesus. And when he met Jesus Christ and was saved by grace through faith in Christ, Paul then came to understand as the chief of sinners. And yet, as the chief of sinners, Paul had the assurance of, quote, a righteousness not his own that comes from the law, but a righteousness that comes through faith in Christ. Now, there's the difference. Saul of Tarsus, the good law-keeping Pharisee, became the Apostle Paul who proclaimed the good news that through faith in Jesus Christ, a person receives a righteous standing with God, a cleanness which does box-checking religion, but depends upon faith alone in Jesus Christ who died as the substitutionary sacrifice for sins and rose again to everlasting life.
Well, these scribes and Pharisees were like Saul of Tarsus. They looked good. They smelled good. They acted good. And therefore, they considered themselves to be holy, clean. And Jesus, in the immediately preceding passage, Jesus called them hypocrites, mask wearers, actors. And he quoted the prophet Isaiah, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Their heart is far from me. The issue was their heart. Jesus went on to say, there's nothing outside a person, food, that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person, sin, are what defile him. Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from the outside, food, cannot defile him since it enters not his heart but his stomach and is expelled? And Mark comments at this point, thus he decudes clean passage continues, Jesus said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. So, In the midst of this argument with the Pharisees, watch. On the one hand, Jesus was really pointing to the original intent and purpose of the ceremonial law, which was to teach and to remind the old covenant Israelites that the real issue was internal holiness, holiness of eternal holiness. But on the other hand, in this passage, did you hear it? Did you you hear this? Jesus declared all foods clean. Now, wait a minute. Hold it. What does that mean? That means that Jesus declared an end to the Old Testament dietary laws. Jesus declared that they were and are no longer in force. Jesus declared the termination of the application of some of God's laws. Did he do that? I mean, it's somewhat like the declaration he made to the paralytic. Son, your sins are forgiven. Can he do that? He can't do that, can he? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Well... Who could declare the end of the application of some of God's laws? But God alone. Right now I'm going to throw something in. It's a little extra. Parenthetically, it's a little bit off subject. But it is connected to this passage. And it is important. And it is extremely relevant in terms of the Christian faith today in America. If you don't know it, our culture has been literally turned upside down and inside out by the sexual immorality revolution. 
If you don't know that, it's time to wake up. And one of the things that you will hear from Hollywood and the media and some politicians and liberal theologians is that if you don't approve of and celebrate homosexual behavior, then, to be logically consistent, (laughs) you can't eat shrimp and sausage gumbo. Have you ever heard that? Yeah, you've heard that. They will mock God's Word and taunt you with that. You see, because they they acknowledge Leviticus 20.13, which says that if a man lies with a male as with a woman committed an abomination, but then they'll quote the dietary laws about pork and shellfish, also from Leviticus, and throw that up in your face as a kind of gotcha point. (laughs) You eat bacon? No, they don't. By the way, whenever you hear things like that, you can be sure the person is either ignorant or lying. They don't got you. Because the ceremonial dietary laws have come to their end in Christ. The law of God, summarized in the Ten Commandments, remains in force, and we see that right here in this passage, in the words of Jesus. Jesus declared all foods clean, but he said the sins of sexual immorality, which includes all sexual activity outside the covenant of male-female marriage, and adultery, the seventh commandment, and sensuality, defile a person, as does each and every sin. And that this illustrative list, which Jesus rattles off here in this passage, you can go through one or the other of the Ten Commandments. You see, here's the difference. Though the ceremonial laws of the Old Testament are no longer in force, the moral law of God, which is summarized in and deduced from the Ten Commandments, is in force for all people. It's quite clear right here in the words of Jesus. Wanted you to see that point. But why did Jesus declare all foods clean? I mean, why did he declare that the dietary laws were no longer applicable and in force? What's going on? Well, saying that there was something wrong with those laws... That couldn't be the case. Jesus was not correcting God's law as though it had been an error. That couldn't be it. Jesus was not blowing off those laws as if they didn't matter. Jesus was not making an arbitrary decision for himself and his followers. Jesus was not simply trying to stir up trouble for the Pharisees and their religious establishment. Well, well then what was Jesus doing? Jesus was pointing to his sacrificial death on the cross. That's what he was doing. Jesus was, in effect, saying the time is fulfilled and the Savior of the world has come. The one to whom all those ceremonial laws point is standing before you. 
The one in whom those ceremonial laws is truly fulfilled is standing before you. Those laws served a purpose from Moses to this day, but now in me their purpose is fulfilled. They showed you your need for holiness of heart, and now the Holy One who alone can make you holy has come. The old covenant with its ceremonial laws and sacrifices is coming to an end. And the new covenant, the new covenant in my blood, my blood which cleanses every sin of those who believe in me, coming to take its place. I have come so that you, through faith in me, may be cleansed of all your defilements. And that's the same gospel for us today. What about you? Are you trusting in Jesus Christ whose blood alone can cleanse you from all unrighteousness, all uncleanness for your eternal salvation? Or are you trusting in your own external religion, your external your external holiness, whether it's a matter of external morality or the observance of external religious customs or an obsession with looking good in the eyes of others. Are you a sinner saved by grace through the blood of Christ? Or are you a Pharisee trying to save yourself? Now, Think about Pastor Jonathan's sermon from last Sunday based on Mark 5, in which two things happened which, technically speaking, rendered Jesus ceremonially. First, he came into contact with a woman who had a chronic flow of blood and who was therefore ceremonially unclean and cut off from the community. And by being touched by her, Jesus himself, technically speaking, became unclean. And second, Jesus actually touched a corpse, Jairus' dead daughter, an unclean thing. Again, technically speaking, this rendered Jesus himself unclean. So why wasn't Jesus concerned about the fact that the unclean woman touched him or that he had touched the unclean corpse? The reason is, as Pastor Jonathan proclaimed, Jesus, the sinless, holy one of God, came into the world in order to become unclean for us. That's precisely what he came into the world to do by taking all our uncleannesses upon himself. When that unclean woman touched him and in response he declared her to be healed, when he took that unclean dead corpse by the hand and raised that little girl from the dead, Jesus was showing the power cleansing work of salvation on the cross. Because on the cross, Jesus would take all our uncleannesses upon himself so that we might be healed of all our infirmities, so that we might be restored into fellowship 
with the Holy One and so that we might be raised from the dead into life everlasting in his glorious kingdom. Next time you have shrimp and sausage gumbo, remember, Jesus Christ was defiled. He was defiled with all our sins so that we might be cleansed from all our defilement by his blood and be clothed in his holiness and righteousness forever. To God be the glory. Amen. Our Father in heaven, we give you thanks and praise for the glorious gospel of your Son, our Savior. And we do pray that your Holy Spirit would work your word deeply into our hearts and further sanctify us and transform us more nearly into the likeness of your Son that we might live on earth as those who will live forever in your eternal kingdom. To the glory of your name, amen. In response to the gospel of Jesus Christ, let us stand to affirm our faith responsively from one of our historic confessions of faith in our Reformed tradition. Christian, what is your only comfort in life and in death? My only comfort is that I belong body and soul in life and in death, not to myself, but to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. At the cost of his own precious blood, he has fully paid for all my sins and has set me free from the dominion of the devil. He also watches over me so well that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. Indeed, all things must work purpose for my salvation. Therefore, because I belong to him, Christ by his Holy Spirit also assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly ready and willing from now on to live for Him. Amen.